Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, wads? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. I am broadcasting from a hotel room in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so far, this room is great. I don't know why. It's got a lot of charm. It's kind of fun. There's a record player in the room. There's also a ukulele in the room. Uh, which I've never seen before. I've never been to a hotel with a ukulele in the room. I feel like now that I've mentioned it, I should probably pick up the uke and uh, and give it a whirl. Hold on. I don't think it's an in-tune uke. <laughs> I should have done a little more preparing before I started the show. So I went to Cleveland and uh, met up with Dean Del Rey, and we've been fucking laying it out, doing the shows. It's been great. Before I get into that, maybe I should tell you that Ashton Kutcher is on the show today. Ashton Kutcher. He's got the final season of his show, The Ranch, streaming on Netflix, but he's one of those guys where I'm like, everyone seems to be okay with Ashton Kutcher. People not only are, are okay with Ashton Kutcher, they, they generally like him. People I've talked to, uh, also, you know, his wife I spoke to. Obviously, she had nice things to say about him. But everybody in general seems to like him. And it turns out I liked him. And you'll get to hear our conversation. If you're looking for, I don't, there's not a lot of dirt on Ashton Kutcher. But uh, decent guy, bright guy, good conversation coming your way. That is happening. Oh, there goes my timer. Time to wake up from my nap. So I meet uh, Dean in Cleveland. I rent the car. got a Jeep Compass, a white one. Head out to the hotel. Cleveland's Cleveland. Cleveland's a little... Uh, I don't know what you... I, I can't get a sense of it. I don't want to judge it. All I know is that Dino and I had a great fucking show at the Agora Theater. Well, we went to Jonathan Sawyer's place, the Greenhouse uh, Tavern, and it was fucking nuts, man. I You know, I didn't... Like, it took me two days to recover from uh, eating there in, in a good way. I've not been able to eat all day for all three days, but the show that night was great. And then the following night, we drove five hours, nice conversations. Dean got me, uh, I don't know what, he, he doesn't drink coffee. Uh, he drinks decaf coffee, 
and we're stopping at Dunkin' Donuts, and I can't resist that shit. So I'm all fucking jacked up on Dunkin' Donuts coffee. My fucking brain is on fire, and I'm plowing just on the road with my you know eyes bugging out of my head from two or three Dunkin' Donuts coffees. And this is like, I guess it was, yeah, this was the following day. This was the day after the Senate chose to uh, vote on whether or not America would be a minority rule authoritarian country uh, beholden to an autocrat. And we were all wondering how that vote would play out. Would we, you know, on Saturday be an authoritarian country with minority rule beholden to an autocrat or would uh, democracy struggle on and and try to uh, act within the uh, constitutional and judicial processes of of a democratic country and we chose authoritarianism i not me but those people who chose those senators and those people who choose to be uh mind fucked into believing a single source of information that is limited and false and also to believe a lying sack of shit of a president so so that's where we're at now is now the sort of slow adjustment to uh autocracy uh, authoritarian construct. I mean, obviously, many of you will get exactly what you need and what you have been getting, and be okay. But but that's where we're at. And I, you know, I'm not being condescending or glib. Uh, but I, you know, I, what can I do? I'm not going to freak out. We'll have a vote in November. We'll see how that goes. Uh, perhaps it'll get even worse. It can always get worse. Might get better. But I'm just trying to adjust to that without a complete spiral. But we drove on Friday from Cleveland to Grand Rapids. Nice drive, jacked on coffee, as I said. And I was concerned about the Fountain Street Church, or I, maybe I made you guys concerned. But uh, we sold nicely, over 1,000 tickets, a big, beautiful place, one of the largest pipe organs I've ever seen in my life. Apparently, uh, many years ago, it was a Baptist church, but for the last almost 100 years, it's been sort of a Unitarian situation. Uh, a kind of a more a church uh, dedicated to uh, education and opening minds as opposed to necessarily a religious type of thing. Liberal Christianity, kind of uh, broad, but also a place where speakers and bands have been coming to uh, expand the minds of uh, humans for, for you know, decades. I mean, the place has hosted... Winston Churchill, Eleanor Roosevelt, Amelia Earhart, Robert Frost, Malcolm X, Robert Kennedy Jr., Angela Davis, Margaret Atwood. It's crazy. Farrakhan, Christopher Hitchens, musicians like Dave Brubeck, Stan Kenton, Ella Fitzgerald, Duke Ellington, B.B. King, Frank Zappa, the MC5, Richie Havens, and Bo Burnham. That's where it lands. And Crystalia and Tiffany Haddish. But uh, quite, quite uh, a legacy to be part of. Quite a place to uh, to stand and uh, and and feel the uh, the intensity of being in a large church. The nice sound bounce, and it does make a difference. And I definitely preached the gospel of me. And there was definitely some religious themed uh, bits that kind of resonated in a deeper and more uh, exciting way, being delivered from the pulpit of a large church the way it should be. I had a very nice-sized congregation. It was a very passionate service, and I'm glad 
many people came to witness and laugh, and we had a great show over there. We drove another uh, four hours from uh, Grand Rapids to Milwaukee. More Dunkin' Donuts coffee. There are some more dates coming up I wanted to get, get you hip to. Orlando, Florida, I'm at the Hard Rock Live on February 14th, then Tampa, Florida at the Straz Center, February 15th. Portland, Maine at the State Theater, February 20th. Providence, Rhode Island at Columbus Theater, February 21st. New Haven, Connecticut at College Street Music Hall, February 22nd. And Huntington, New York at the Paramount, February 23rd. Go to WTFpod.com slash tour for links to all the venues. Okay? All right, then. So there's something else I want to tell you. Um, yeah, I think this will be more exciting for you Marvel fans. I got an email uh, from somebody who is... Um, may, I don't know if me telling you about this is going to ruin it. Uh, here, I'll just read it to you. Subject line, cameo in Amazing Spider-Man. This might be a bit of an odd way to reach out as we don't actually know each other, even though I see you quite a bit. I'm a huge, huge fan. And not just of the podcast, but as a front row regular at your shows here in Los Angeles at the Comedy Store, Dynasty Typewriter, and Ice House. You've been my favorite comedian for years. And whenever you show up on a local schedule, my girlfriend and I are nearly always there. I was heartbroken to be out of town for work when you did the taping at Red Cat. After seeing that material getting worked on for so long and enjoying it so much, can't wait for the special, though. Anyhow, in addition to being a fan, I'm also the writer of the Amazing Spider-Man comic at Marvel, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in making a cameo appearance in the book. I know superheroes are not really your bag, so I won't bore you with the details of the story, but basically Spider-Man... Oh, I don't want... This is a spoiler. This is a spoiler. Oh, I'm not going to tell you that part. Uh, but, 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 but we just need permission to use your likeness. Apparently, there's a form for that if you're up for it. I've attached what it would look like on the page. Like I said, I know superheroes aren't your thing, but maybe you'd see this as a fun little bit of comic book immortality. Yes. I mean, hey, he said, Letterman did it. Just let me know either way and keep up the great work. Uh, yes, Nick, I, I, I'm in. I'm in. I, you know what? I should probably email you back. Um, so that's exciting, right, Marvel fans? Right, comic book fans? Isn't it exciting that I'll be in a Spider-Man comic book? I'm sure you're thrilled. Come on. You've got to be thrilled. So wait, so the last time I talked to you, I had not had my last day on the Aretha Franklin movie. That one really, I, I, you know, something really shifted in me around acting and around doing that movie. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the director, Lizelle Tommy, who I think is, you know, was really doing detailed work to make this thing uh, look great and sound great and, and kind of pop. And Jennifer Hudson was just uh, such a pro and Marlon Wayans and everybody else I worked with on there. I, you know, I, I wasn't around enough to really feel like totally part of the family. It was people who were shooting it day in and day out for months on end. But certainly it was a great experience. And the last day we shot in a big church, uh, it was we they recreated the Amazing Grace concert. We had all of these, you know, background players, just a full church of people, a full congregation doing the thing that you do in a church, um, a black church, particularly. And uh, it was a, it was a pretty exciting last day. And when they wrapped, they said goodbye to me and everyone applauded and it was felt nice. And I immediately went and shaved my fucking face. 
I shaved that Jerry Wexler beard right off of my face. Man, do I feel better. And I've just got my soul patch and my stash again for now and very long hair. And that and the soul patch and the hair will go when we start taping glow in uh, March. So Ashton Kutcher, as I mentioned, smart guy, good guy, surprising conversation. Uh, his show, The Ranch, is, it's the last season, is now streaming on Netflix. And this is me talking to Ashton in my house. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or need to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts you want to move the mic in a little so you do i need to move it in well just or you can move towards it or whatever just so you're up on it a little i have a little cold so i don't want the next guy to get that's all right you know yeah it's good it's a risk that we all run with a little cold okay do you have kids how old's your kid I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, so you, you're always sick. I'm a. It's a petri dish <laughs> in my house. It's just insane. And they go to the daycare, and it's like they just like throw up on each other all day, and then they come home, and it's like then they're just like you know, like my son legitimately, yeah. we put him to bed last night, yeah. and and he comes out and he's like. I threw up, and it's just like vomit all over the carpet. And I'm sitting there with like a Dyson vacuum cleaner trying to suck up his vomit off the carpet last night. It's really glamorous, our life. What? What is the... What is it? What, they just throw up, kids? They just throw up and sh- shit and pee all over the place. Man. Is that, like, that sounds like it's easier to control a dog of some kind. I mean, kind of. Do you have dogs? Yeah, I mean, but but I grew up with dogs. I'm I'm from Iowa, Mm. so like where I grew up, you keep your dogs outside. Right, so wait, what part of Iowa? Like around Cedar Rapids, Iowa City. Oh, yeah, so did you grow up on land? Well, I grew up in Cedar Rapids, which is like the second biggest city. Yeah, yeah. And then my parents got divorced when I was uh, 13 or something. My mom moved out to the country, and she's like, you're coming with me. And so I ended up moving out to like a farm. That's a heavy time to get the divorce uh, news, 13. Yeah, it was, you know, I have a twin brother and he had a heart transplant around like, that time. And oh my God. I, I, think, he... I think it was just like really hard on like the whole thing. And, oh, like, so that, yeah. that happened before the divorce? Uh, yeah, like right around the same How's time. How's he doing right? now? He's great. Yeah. He with lives... the same, the, with the new heart? Yeah, yeah. From when he was a kid? Yeah. He was, That's it, crazy. At, at the time, he was the youngest person ever to be put on an artificial heart. Um, it's an artificial heart. Well, he had an artificial heart in the hospital because yeah. his heart failed. He had a cardiomyopathy, where like basically the it's like a virus that starts to attack the heart and break down the cardio yeah, the yeah. cardiac tissue, and so he had holes in his heart, and so they put him on an artificial heart. And at the time, he was the youngest person ever to be put on an artificial heart. Yeah, and then it was like I, I was in the room with him, and it failed, uh, and they <sighs> kicked me out of the room. 
and within like in i mean he had like 12 hours to yeah. go or something and then he got moved to number one on the list for heart transplants and he got a heart and he's now he, i mean we're 41 and he's lives in colorado as a son really and yeah he's engaged to get married yeah he's that's amazing. So we, so but when they do that, when they ha- when they get a, a heart for a kid that age, does it ha- does the heart have to be that age? No. It well, it, it was I my I, they don't really tell you uh, who where the heart comes right. from. Right. But I think it's it's a it's just about size, right? Uh-huh. So I think he got a heart from a woman in Florida somewhere. That's so wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And does he does he still have to take pills for the uh, anti rejection pills? He yeah, does. Yeah, his whole life. His whole life, yeah, because basically you've you've now you put a, a foreign object in your body. So right. it's actually really similar to like a lot of autoimmune diseases, yeah, where your body sees a part of your own body as a foreign a problem, object and yeah. starts to attack it. Yeah, so uh, it's 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 virtually the same thing. So they 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 give them uh, you know that's auto reject. That's uh, amazing uh, that he lived and everything's all right. It's incredible. And you guys are close. Uh, we were really close when we were young. Yeah. That thing sort of took us a little bit further apart because we he was in the hospital for like a year, basically. So you were out in the country with your mom and he's in the town? Uh, I was with my dad and I was with, you know, various people and, you know, it was like wherever they could get, get, have me while this was taking place, you know? Uh, and then, right. And then, it, and then like through the years, like he moved to, I, I moved out, I moved to New York when yeah. I was 19. He lives in Denver now. We yeah. just kind of my sister's down in Louisiana, so our family's kind of all over the country. How many are there of you guys? Three of us. Oh, so that's it. Yeah, with the my, kids. Yeah, then my parents are in Iowa, and they're both still there. And yep, still divorced from each other. Yeah, yeah. both both remarried. Yeah, they were great people. Great. But when you moved to the country, was it a big scene, a big farm kind of situation, or what? Yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I went from like that's where we started. The dogs outside. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went from I went from the city, yeah. uh, and then we moved to the country, and you know, and there's a little bit of you know when you go into that, there's a little bit of attitude of like, you know, you're yeah. not really a yeah. country kid, right? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. And so there was, it was like that. You, I had a car. Well, you drove like, around the city. Yeah, you're like 14, yeah. 15, and you got to yeah. like prove yourself. Yeah. And so you got to fight somebody in order to like. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, well, it's kind of, yeah, it's like, you have to, like, just, you know, go, this is my dance space, this is your dance space, don't come into my dance space, and I'm not coming into yours. So you moved to the country, and what, it's a smaller school, and you just got right in there and kicked some guy's ass and set him here? I I started playing football, and like, you know, and then got, like, you know, just started, like, yeah, and then got in a couple fights and this and that. Do you fight now? I I do jujitsu, but I don't fight. Mm. Like, I I have- When was the last fist fight you got into? Do you have that instinct in you? Because I don't. You know, some people do. It's not my I, first thought. Yeah, my dad. My dad. When I was young, my dad was like, you know, we we came from like a pretty Christian Catholic family. And yeah, it, was like, it turned the other cheek. Right. Um, and you know, I, I remember like being a kid and like getting punched and just being like, I just keep walking. <laughs> uh, and then you know, and then you get older and you build up to enough frustration and then you fight. For for a while, I was like, I, I fought. Yeah, and then I just realized like this is stupid. Right, well, that's good. This this can no, really hurt somebody and yeah, there's get in just kind of no point. Yeah, I mean, I like I like doing jujitsu. I was a wrestler when I was a kid, um, and on a that, team. Yeah, and that was my that was my sport when I was young, and and I really didn't have an outlet for that. Yeah, and, and I actually like if I'm pissed off, it's like nice to go do some jujitsu, and then you feel fine afterwards. You know, you are you good at it? 
I'm all right. Yeah. I'm okay. I mean, I, 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 I concede. Yeah. So it's like if somebody's like, are you, are you better than me? I'm like, no, you're better than me. You win. We, let's, we don't need to fight. There's no, there's, you win. So who do you, then who do you fight? Just I, people who are at your level? I mean, I spar with, yeah. with, with folks. Yeah. My coach brings me people to spar with. Yeah. Yeah. And then, it, and that's no competitions. No. I, I, no. <laughs> no I, don't, I don't need to do that. So, all right. So here you are. You're out on the farm. You're, you're growing up in Iowa. Your, your brother's got problems. Your sister's where she lost in the mix somewhere. Yeah, my sister basically sort of lone wolfed it, and like he, o- older or younger, older. Yeah. Oh, she's like a, a couple years older than us. And now, were you, were you like uh, were you like an angry kid outside of the fighting? Did you push back? Did you rebel? Did you get in trouble? What the fuck happened? No, I mean, yeah, I, 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 what, like rebelling in Iowa is like I smoked a joint, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah, you know, and then uh, and then I. Um, I, I was actually a really good student, did, you know, just yeah. sort of straight and narrowed it. And then my senior year, my cousin and I broke into the school. And oh, I got, yeah. I think I read about I got a I got a deferred judgment on a felony offense for third-degree burglary. What was the intent? What were you going for? I was going to steal some shit. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, like, you know, we were just poor and wanted some money. Yeah, like, you were going to go to the lab? Get yeah, some exactly. <laughs> Get so some Bunsen burners. There's a five disc CD exchanger in yeah. there. We can, you know. And then my cousin like stabs some scissors in a soda machine, like trying to. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you don't know, really get even... the change. Like, what are we going for here? So you're just like half ass. You're trying to rob yeah. a school. Yeah, it's kind of Get busted. Yeah, we. I mean, it was it was funny. So, uh, 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 well, it's not funny. It was stupid. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, we were. I I was dating the principal's daughter at the time. Really. So that's that's probably not good. So this compounded the issue. He didn't like you, right? No, he did like me oh. until this happened. And then he <laughs> right. was like, because I I come almost directly from their house, met up with my cousin, and yeah. then we went and I I knew how to pick locks, and so I picked. It the sounds lock like he could have just stole the fucking keys. Why well, didn't the old man? I just pick, I just right. picked the lock. Well, we that's went, good. Can you we, still do that? Maybe, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, okay. I, I, I haven't really kept up on my lock picking skills. They're tougher locks. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, uh, I mean, if it was a digital lock, I could probably figure it out now. <laughs> you got, you've got, you've got connections. Yeah, well, you've got to have. You've got. You've probably invested in an app which will pick a digital lock. Yeah, pretty exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if not, I'll find one. <laughs> right. So, so we went. Um, and we got, we were in the school and we were kind of like walking around and, and, and honestly we were like, you know, my cousin wanted to get his test from the next day right. so he would, could cheat on the test. Yeah. And we, I mean, we really weren't doing anything. Right. And we didn't know there were silent alarms in the school. And I look out the window and I see a car pull into the parking lot. It was like one in the morning or yeah. something. And I was like, this is, well, that's weird. Like, why is there a car? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, my cousin sees two cop cars pulling. He's like, cops! And we just start running. We bolt out of the school, and there was a cornfield. And on the other side of the cornfield was a, a, a crick bed. And the crick bed led all the way back to the next town. Yeah. And so we were thinking, if we can get to that crick bed, it's back in the woods. There's no way they're going to find us. We, right. We'd be home free. And so we dart out of the school, and then we shoot back into the school, and we we're in this room that was like right on the edge where it's like, it was like a 
200 yard sprint to the creek bed. Yeah. And we're sitting in the room. We're like, okay, you ready? One, two, three. Come out the doors. And the cops are standing there. And we're at gunpoint. And we're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then it. Why'd you go back into the school when you got you went out? And then you because went... they were on our tail. We were. Oh, they saw you. When we were out, they were on our tail. And then we turned a corner. And then we popped back in. But it, we, uh, we assumed that they didn't see us go back in. And then they did. And that. So you could have gotten shot. I could have gotten shot. Yeah. yeah. So you went to jail. Went to jail. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know. Called my parents, and then they were like, we're not going to come get you. Yeah. And they were like, wait for your arraignment. How, how many days was that? It was a good day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Sweeping jail, learn yeah. your lesson. Yeah. And then what happened with the charges? Uh, well, I got it for a judgment, uh, yeah. and then I got probation, and I wasn't allowed to leave the, leave the county. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend broke, Principal's up, broke up with me. Yeah. Immediately. And, uh, and then I wasn't allowed to do any extracurricular anything at school i didn't get kicked out of the school which i, I but were you like I, wearing I some were you a hero or a loser no, no i was i'd shamed the city right it was like a town there were 52 people in my graduating class i mean it was I, I, there were 100 people in my town like i'd shamed the city so the outlaw thing didn't it wasn't a positive yeah it thing. didn't yeah it didn't go well no sentence no nothing i mean i did a bunch of community service Boy, how, what was that i had to do that once yeah i like helped kids get on the bus in the morning and stuff and like painted a fence and like you know i had a vacuum at an old folks home yeah there you go yeah that's good yeah this is like 40 hours of that yeah it's just because i fought a traffic ticket a speeding ticket i mean by the way my community service was no worse than any of the jobs i had when i was that <laughs> age so it was like, sort of like not really it was just like a job i didn't get paid for yeah i was like this is not this isn't so terrible. when when does this the interest in the arts happen does it happen well, I had already, so when I was in like, I think seventh grade, I started yeah. doing high, junior high theater mm -hmm. and I was in every play that my school offered for yeah. the entire time I was in school and I was in the thespian society and went and competed in like state yeah. know, acting competitions and stuff. They had acting competitions? How do those work? Um, we you, do a monologue. Yeah. You, you'd like prepare a scene with a scene oh. partner or something and then you go and perform it. And yeah. I, I mean, I always love performing. I think, you know, I've, I've, I've like psychoanalyzed myself and broke it down. I think I, I just like the attention. Sure. Um, and you like getting a laugh. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's I mean, great, right? Yeah. There's sort of nothing is satisfying. <laughs> it's like I actually said something that you found familiar enough to yeah. laugh at. It's great. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of fell in love with it. But also, I was in Iowa, and I'm going. Yeah. How the hell am I gonna get out? Yeah, what am I gonna go do like community theater or something? Yeah, um, you thought well, you were thinking about that. You you thought like, how do I make this a profession? Yeah, but I really didn't know how, so I kind of yeah. just gave up on it. And, yeah, and I was I did pretty well in school, and so I, I I decided to go to school and become a biochemical engineer. And why that that's I was going to be a geneticist. Really? Yeah. What a, compelled you to do that? I wanted to figure out how to stop the virus from replicating that attacked my brother's heart. Really? That was my goal, yeah. You kind of obsessed with it? Yeah, I, want, I I just wanted to figure out how to like, I mean, there's a process that viruses go through called lysis where they sort of transition and start to replicate. Yeah. And I thought if, you know, if you could infect a virus with a strand of DNA that didn't allow it to replicate, that potentially you could stop it from. Is that something they use now? I don't know. I, I haven't kept up on it. Really? You haven't, you're not, you don't get the journals? No. 
But it seems like in the you know you're involved with the tech world, but you don't do biotech. I've I've done a couple things in biotech. Um, it's I I probably should do more. Yeah, but I always feel like I studied it, but that I didn't learn it well enough to do it well. Right. And meanwhile, like I wasn't a computer engineer or a computer scientist right. or anything of that sort. Right. But yet I feel confident enough to. So it doesn't really make sense. Well, I've, no, it does because mechanics are mechanics, but when it comes to the human thing. You know, you don't know what the hell. It just seems like this, no matter what they do, it's sort of like, we don't really know. Like with, with, with machines, it's machines, with digital stuff. Yeah. But when you're dealing with things like this, we're going to inject this into, it's like, oh, what the fuck is going to happen? I also, I, I think I think there's not a regulating body that sits over the top of technology. Yeah. Whereas if you go into biotech, you have to deal with the FDA. Sure. And like, oh. I don't I don't want a guy at the finish line to be able to say, sorry, we're yeah. just not going to approve this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like, to me, that puts my investment in somebody else's hands. Right. Well, it might be for the right reasons, but you just don't want to yeah, be involved with that it also, possibility. It also might be for the wrong reasons, right? Sure. I mean, you don't- Maybe. You, you don't, there, there, there might be some, you know, minor side effect that yeah. is, you know, with outside of it. And I'm not, I'm not- well, you way. want to take the risk either way. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so my rule is I don't invest in non-FDA approved biochemical <laughs> right technology. Sure. Well, I mean, I just think it's interesting because the virus, the idea, the virus is sort of like a renegade strand of uh, like RNA or DNA that needs to hook up with something, needs a host. So your concept was if you could create a fake uh, like a, a ghost strand of DNA that it could hook up to that it would diminish the uh, the impact. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like antivirals for like yeah. the flu or something right. like that, right? Like yeah. they, they, they basically give you a dormant version of, yeah. of that. So you could actually create, you, you should hypothetically be able to create an antivirus right. for- Anything, m- any virus. For many viruses, right? They're so, probably working on that. Yeah, maybe. But you didn't, you didn't follow through? I did not follow through, no. I I, I, I I was I was in college and I was in a bar yeah. and some lady came up to me and was like, How old are you? And I was like, Let me get this beer and I'll let you know. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm nineteen. And then she said, uh, have you ever thought about being a model? And yeah. I was like <laughs> I was like I thought Fabio was like the only male model. Like right. I didn't realize guys yeah. did that as a right. job. Yeah. And I was, and I was, I said no. I was like, I thought about being an actor, and she's like, well, it's a, this is a really good way to be an actor. Come to find out, it's not. Um, and, and 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 but then she sort of showed me the ropes and helped build my confidence. And, Where'd she find you in Iowa? Yeah, I was in a bar in Iowa, and she was from where? She had a scouting agency in Iowa. She, now she's in St. Louis. Yeah, you still know her? Yeah, but, well, I'm still really close with them. She because well, she started your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And she was just like, you're a good looking guy. Yeah. She was and like, you thought she was full of shit at first? I thought she was completely full of shit. She, <laughs> she was like, there's a, a uh, competition at the shopping mall t- like this weekend. In Cedar Rapids? It, yeah. She's like, come, you, you know, you, all, you have to walk from like here to, you know, 50 feet and back. And she's like, wear a tight shirt and some jeans. Yeah. And you're going to, you, you, I think you'll win. Yeah. And, and then I won a trip to New York and I, 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 left my I got a week off from my job at General Mills in the Cheerio factory where I was sweeping Cheerio dust doing janitorial work and (laughs) flew to New York and I called my dad once I got there and said I'm not coming home 
and he was, was like, it? and he was like, bullshit. He was like, get your ass back here. I was like, I, listen, I I've got my Boy Scout backpack. <laughs> And I've got my sleeping bag, and I've got a hundred dollars. Yeah. And you know, if I run out of money, I'll figure out how to get home. But for now, I'm not coming home. Yeah. And then with a hundred bucks in my pocket and my Boy Scout backpack, I set out in the world, man. And that was that. That was that. And, then, and that's history. So you were working at a General Mills factory. Yeah. Where they made cereal. Yeah, it was a really good summer job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they made Cheerios, fruit roll-ups. Uh, clusters. Um, Did you take like that stuff home? I mean, I'd grab a handful out of oh, the bin as it was going down the thing. I mean, I was over a cereal by the time I got... I mean, I was covered in it. So, it's sort of like when you weren't working a meat factory and you become a vegetarian. Right. You know, you're just like, oh, man, I don't know if I can... They're killing so many Cheerios. Yeah. It's so upsetting. Yeah. But it's not upsetting. You're just like... Yeah, it's too much of I, it. I don't know if I can eat this stuff, man. Where'd your dad work when you were growing up? He was on the fruit roll-ups line. He was? Yeah. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he got me the job. It was a great summer job. I mean, it was an amazing summer job. But was he? But I think he I was getting paid like twelve bucks an hour or something. But it wasn't a summer job for your dad. He was fu- he was full time fruit yeah, roll ups. Yeah, yeah, he was full time. Yeah, the, for the fruit roll ups. Yeah, on fruit roll ups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went from working in a warehouse, like driving a. Forklift. Sorry, I'm laughing. I'm sorry. Why? I'm just it's just like the fruit roll ups line. I and mean, someone's got to do it, but it's a funny thing to say. Somebody's got to make sure that the foot long fruit roll ups come out a full foot. I get it. You don't want an 11 inch foot long fruit no, roll up. You want the whole thing. You need a full foot. <laughs> yeah. And that was your dad. <laughs> that was my pops. <laughs> you were on the forklift? In a warehouse before that. Oh. So this was a great gig. Sure. Because you're working with cereal. Your dad's right down around the corner. I was getting paid 12 bucks an 12 hour bucks. instead of eight bucks an hour. Right. That was great. Yeah. And instead of four. Sixty that I got for washing dishes. Oh, at a restaurant. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm glad it seemed like there was a nice progression: dishes, forklift, Cheerios, yeah. runway model. Exactly. Italy. Italy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good progression. Giorgio Armani. You know, it's like it just works. <laughs> Wearing the nice suits. All those brands line up. Yeah. Come on. Sure, man. The Homestead Kitchen, <laughs> Hawkeye <laughs> Foods, General Mills, and then Armani. I mean, don't forget Spikes Meat Cutting. Oh, you, you know, were at Spikes. I worked at Spikes, and I was I skinned deer during deer hunting season. So you can do like, that if oh, necessary. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was? I can the, skin and trim a deer like nobody's business. What's it? What was Spikes? It was a place where people brought their deers to be it was butchered. Bu- yeah, it was a butcher shop. So people would bring them, or they'd sell them. Uh, hopefully they'd have them field dressed and they'd just drop them off and oh. then I'd hang them up and skin them and cut the head. So that off was the and, service that Spikes provided. Yeah. Hunters would bring their field dressed game a, in. A field dressed game and then we'd turn it into processed meat that people right. could take home and, and eat. freeze. Yeah. Yeah, package it up. Would be frozen by the time we gave it to them. You wouldn't want to give it to them thawed. Oh, really? Yeah. You'd freeze it? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I thought, so they'd pick it up like a week later. Yeah, a week, two weeks. So it's not like it depends on how busy we were. It's not like by tomorrow I need this fresh and I'll put it in my freezer. Yeah, no, it'd be like you know a couple days. Oh, we we can move through a deer pretty quick. Yeah. Then did you hunt or do you? Yeah, I was a hunter. How was it? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I I I like I like bird hunting. Yeah. And I like fishing. Shotguns. Yeah. Like shotgun bird hunting. That's the way you do it, right? Yeah. With ducks and quail. Like a twenty gauge or a four ten or so. You want something small so you don't mutilate the meat. Yeah. So you don't have to pick like spit shot out of you. Yeah. Exactly. And then and but I I I started deer hunting. When I was fifteen or sixteen or something like this. Um, I liked it, but it it was a weird thing with deer hunting. Like you actually felt like 
I don't know. I, I just started feeling bad for the game. It was weird. Yeah. Um, well, especially called, that's called the uh, conscience. Yeah. <laughs> it's called not becoming a serial killer. <laughs> have you seen this don't fuck with cats thing? Not like, yet. Have, like, I have ca- you got to watch this thing. I have two cats now. I just had to put one down. I don't know if I could handle it yet. Oh, God. It's something else. Do you have cats? I used to have cats. Yeah, I love cats. Yeah, I, and it didn't affect. Uh, people were telling me like, if, if you have cats, it's gonna be a little rough. It's a little rough, but man, is it something else? Really? Oh god, it's just. But wait, what are these sounds you're making? This doesn't sound like a good experience. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you're into this thing, I mean, it, it's, was it a good experience? It's what's shocking is 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 you're sort of seeing it through the eyes of these people who are like using the internet, yeah. to solve this case but right. then they stumble upon something much greater yeah and you're like it's shocking so it's a good documentary that's beautiful yeah okay i'll, I'll you know people I mean, beautiful might be the wrong word but it's oh, exhilarating effective yeah all right so you're in uh so you're doing the big modeling with buddy with ford wilmina who's what's it next what oh yeah is that a big one it was one of the big ones for guys oh so, so you're doing print you're doing runway you're doing all of it I'm doing enough to get by to yeah. start with. Living in New York, where? Uh, I was living in a two-bedroom apartment with five other guys. It was a model's apartment. Where? In, which one? In Hell's Kitchen. Ninth and forty something. Uh, it was ninth and thirty-eighth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, it was terrifying. Yeah, like as a kid from Iowa, I was like <laughs> right in it there. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I remember walking up this like two-story walk up and turning the lights on in this place and roaches just scattered oh yeah and what about down the street ninth avenue it was, like 42nd it was, street yeah there was a guy selling a girl on the corner oh, and it was yeah. just in the in a person living in a trash bag outside sure. and you're like wow this is just a different world. mind-blowing yeah mind-blowing um but you had your boy scout backpack and I was good. I had my Swiss Army knife, man. <laughs> you could fly with knives back then. Yeah, sure, man. Don't forget. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I, and then I, you know, booked a couple little jobs and made a little bit of money. And then, uh, but I didn't see any of it because I was living in the models apartment. Right. And it was like, I was paying like $2,000 a month for this two bedroom <laughs> they put you up in there yeah they put you up in there so then they take your check when you get paid and they pay themselves for the rent for the models apartment which couldn't have possibly been ten thousand dollars a month yeah, yeah but that's what it was oh man and then you know they pay for all your flights right. but you don't know how much they cost and so ultimately i didn't see uh any money for a while um and i was just kind of living off of ramen and you know whatever yeah. else i could right. get my hands on and then, uh, yeah, and then I went to Italy uh, and did a bunch of runway shows and booked like 19 shows or something like that. How'd you feel about there. that, being a model, you know, coming from what you come from and knowing that now you're a model? How'd your dad react? I, my dad was like, this is bullshit, come home. Right. Um, I, I was, I, honestly, I was like, I can't un- believe people are going to pay me to just look like me. Yeah. So there was that. You didn't feel it was in, in, uh, be beneath you or, or the, affected your masculinity or anything? No. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was just like, I was just shocking that <laughs> yeah. people were paying me to just be me. I like, I couldn't like- You had to learn how to walk correctly, didn't you? I had to learn how to walk the right way yeah. and like do the thing. But- I, <laughs> Do the thing. Yeah, like po, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. like the- But but it was just, it was this sort of shocking thing. And, and then- it, not, it didn't take long. It was probably like within a year. I was like, this, this, "It's not gratifying, right?" right? Like, oh, I, okay, yeah, because I, I, there wasn't a sense of ownership about yeah. 
what was happening. Right. And that's when I found an acting manager in New York and then started working with her and going on castings. Who was that? Uh, the manager I still have today, Stephanie Simon. Oh, yeah. Oh, Stephanie Simon? Yeah, from Untitled. Yeah. I yeah. think I know her. Yeah, so I met her yeah. um, through my modeling agent and then started going on castings and booked like a Pizza Hut commercial. And then I booked a test for a NBC pilot. Uh-huh. And they flew me out here. Wait, is Untitled her company? Yeah, her and Jason Weinberg. Yeah. Yep. And you've been with them, for, you've been with her for years. 20... Two, well, two years. So that's well, that's loyalty. That's nice. You've been with her that long. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I don't know. It's like somebody gives you a shot. Yeah, yeah. Like it's weird. I, I don't understand how people forget the people that give them a shot. Like it's it is it is. Do they forget them, or do they think that once they they you know it, they get the shot, if they can't continue to grow, that they feel like they've outgrown them? I get that, but yeah. but. Uh, I mean, she continued to grow sure. as well. Oh right? yeah, no, so, she got a big company, right? She got a lot of people. Yeah, and it, 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 I just, you know, even if they don't do what they used to do, like you should, you sit down and have a conversation about it, and you go, all right, how, you know, what are the things that that you could be doing that you're not doing that we need to be doing that to work together? Yeah, but, you can do that, but I, from the other side of it, from a guy who was managed by a guy for twenty years. And, you know, you get to a point where they grow, but you're not, they can't move you. And it's not one's fault. Sometimes yeah. you hit an impasse. That's true. Where you're like, this isn't working out. Yeah, but maybe you still have a relationship with them. I mean, I've sure, fired, sure. We're I, friends. I, 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 yeah, I've had agents that I no longer work with that yeah. I used to work with. But especially the person, I don't know, the people that give you the first shot at something. Yeah. That, that's a big bet, right? Because right. they're investing their time and energy. Yeah on you yeah because they see something and especially when nobody else sees it i, I don't know i it, to me it's just like yeah oh for sure and it, you're still friends with the uh woman who gave you the modeling shot yeah <laughs> yeah 100 percent. you're you uh you know that well i mean some people you don't necessarily have to keep a relationship with them but you should honor that or respect the what happened gratitude sure gratitude F perfect yes appreciation sure that's it. Practice appreciation. Yeah. So she got you the 70 show gig? Yeah. So I flew out here, uh, auditioned for this NBC thing, and then ended up booking a different NBC thing. Yeah. It was a little weird, and then went across town and booked the 70 show, and then decided to take that 70 show. And the rest is history. Then I started to work a lot. Yeah. Well, you were on the 70 show forever, right? Well, I think it was like eight years, seven <laughs> yeah. years, something. Like but that. that's how you became a star. Yeah. I mean, that once again, they gave me a shot. Yeah. But you could do it. It was a funny. I, uh, funny I, I mean, there was moments where I don't think I was doing it. <laughs> there, like, go go look at the first six episodes. <laughs> I was sure I was getting fired for the first six episodes, and I and I didn't know I didn't know my ass from my elbow. Yeah. Like I couldn't figure out. I'd done a student film in New York just right. to like figure out how to act in front of a camera. And like I'd never done take two before in my life. Who's student film? Do you remember that guy? Are, uh, you, are you grateful? Are you still in touch with him? No, I, I. He's actually done really well as a director. Oh, good. I'm trying to remember the name. It was the 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 student film was called Distance. It was an NYU student film. Uh huh. But I'd never done take two ever before because yeah. I'd only done plays. Right. And you just sort of load up and then unload. Right. That's true. One time. Sure. And that's it. Yeah. And take two was a whole new weird thing. Reload. Yeah, reload. Like, how do yeah. you reload once you you blew right. your wad? Right. I mean, like yeah. some guys can do it. Yeah. I, you know, I, but right. I it's I, and so I had to learn. You didn't have chops. 
I did not have chops. And then Bonnie Turner uh, on, on uh, from the 70 Show yeah. basically taught me how to like dissect a joke, taught me the rhythms of comedy. Because, I, I, you know, some people are just kind of naturally have right. a comedic yeah. capacity. Yeah. And I just didn't have that. It was, And so I, I had to learn this process. You kind of have it. Process. I mean, don't you? I need material. Right. <laughs> Right and I, and and but but I can load up on material yeah. like I can like I can I can sit down and come up with material right, right. but like before I go out and do like a talk show or something like yeah. that like I I kind of know what my bits are like you I sit with that producer I've, right and yeah go I, over it yeah I go yeah. over it and I and I build my bits yeah so when I get there I just execute on the bits right. But I, I'm not going to come. I'm not. I'm not going to off the cuff with you. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> this, is, this is going to go south because I just don't have those rhythms. You know yeah, what I mean? Some yeah. other... <laughs> have you tried that? No, I, I'm doing it now. It's a disaster. What's happening right now? No, it's not. It's funny. It's good. I've gotten a lot of laughs. It's a disaster. <laughs> but like, so what? Mark Brazil was the guy, right? Mark and Bonnie and Terry Turner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then you like that that whole crew. Like I like Topher too. He does good shit in movies. Sometimes I haven't seen him in a while. I've I, interviewed him. I haven't. I, he's probably the only person like I haven't really kept up with on the, from the show. I mean, he's, I, he's a heavy. He's kind of intense guy. He's like, a pretty he's, intense guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of hard on himself, and he's you know. hard on himself, and he's like pretty calculated about the things that he does. And it, 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 I, I always say he's like incredibly talented. Yeah, no, yeah, he is. I mean, there was a couple movies. Like, he does a thing. He's got a, a, a thing. He, his wheelhouse is kind of, you know, intense. Yeah, his mode. Yeah, his mode, yeah. right. He always, so, he always had, like, a Michael J. Fox fascination. Oh, like, really? Yeah, like, that I was his, like, you know. That was his North Star, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine was Kirk Cameron, so. Oh, yeah? yeah so, it was fair. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad you guys had your heroes and your models. Your, <laughs> yeah, 100%. The barometer for success. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Those two, that that's about right, huh? Yeah. I worked with the guy from, uh, the guy who, uh, Don. Don, I worked with Don. Don Stark? Yeah. Yeah. He played my sponsor in the fourth episode of my show on IFC. Right on. He's a great guy. Yeah, Don's fantastic. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah. And you work with, and Milo was on the show, but you guys, you didn't, you didn't, it wasn't happening. Well, I mean, but she was and like- now she's your wife. She was like 14 when we I, started okay, the show. Right. And, and I was not like- suggesting anything. No, but I'm simply saying, she was 14, I was- 20 19 yeah. something like that right and so it, it, 14 and 20 it feels like a big age difference right sure it is it's just yeah it's, a, it's illegal it's a, yeah it's an illegal problem as well 28 and 32 yeah. you not go so not yeah. not so much right it's less yeah yeah 33 changes whatever i think yeah, i'm not sure. doing the math right but anyway but you did like that i mean th- that show was your life you know that sort of defines your life and your finances and everything for for a long time yeah well Two years into it, I because I was just a supporting character in the show, so uh-huh. I, so I really wasn't doing that much work. I mean, I right. would show up for the workday, but yeah. sitcom schedules are pretty soft anyway. Right. But then when you're only in three, four scenes a week, um, I, I had a lot of extra time on my yeah. hands, so I started a production company. Um, and then, uh, but how'd you know to do that? Was that Stephanie's suggestion? I mean, who, who, how do you like, cause like big actors, people who, who are making bread and have, you know, who, who have a foresight do that. Who gave you that? I just always wanted the job of the person that was giving, paying me. So it was your idea? Like I'm going to open a production company? It was a hundred. I, 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 I met my, uh, producing partner. Yeah. Uh, out through his wife through at a party or okay. something 
And oh, he, he was a producer, and he yeah, said, "Yeah, why and don't we do this?" He was talking about movies that he wanted to make, and yeah. I had some ideas about things, and we started collaborating. I was like, "Why don't we just start a company?" Right. Uh, and so we started out of my house, yeah. and worked out of one of the bedrooms of my house, and um, you know, about six months, eight months into it, and just bootstrapped it on our own money, mm-hmm. and it, we we came up with this idea for Punked, and uh, my agents and manager, everybody said. Don't do this. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Someone's going to get hurt. No, they were just like, it's a bad idea for your career. Like, why are you going to go do reality TV? At, right. that, at that point in time, like, doing reality TV seemed like a career ender. Yeah. Um, and I was like, no, I th- we, I, I want to do this. Yeah. And then started started that up. And then I was I did Do Where's My Car, I think, after the summer of but season punk was sort of three. a phenomenon, right? Yeah. It was, it was like the number one show on cable at the time. And isn't that where Dak Shepard comes from? Yeah, I casted him for his <laughs> yeah. for the first episode. I, yeah. I, he was, he, I think he was at Groundlings at the time. Yeah, which was like an unbelievable place to go find sure talent for. Yeah, and um, yeah, we casted him for, on there. Yeah. Oh, Cast, you you cast a lot of people out of the Groundlings for punks for improvising uh, real yeah, people. A bunch of people. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, where we found we found a lot of the talent for that show. You know, and I also I was I was a huge fan of Saturday Night Live when yeah. I was growing up. Yeah, and. And I, I realized that there's that was like the only other show that improvers really could go to, and work sketch guys, improv yeah, like guys. sketch yeah, improv sure. people. I was like, wait a second, we're, I, I I can build even if I'm number two to Saturday Night Live, I can build the other show that sketch and improv people want to come work. Well, yours is really improv. I mean, you know, ultimately SNL is scripted all the way. Yeah, I mean, we had we had a you know a. Bible of what how we wanted to execute the bit, yeah. But the comedy in it was well, yeah, they had to, they had to think on their feet because they're dealing with real people and things. Yeah, I mean they had a little backup, but we yeah. we, we were in their ear and you oh know, yeah, right, so right. so so if they <laughs> yeah. lost track or if they weren't seeing something that we were seeing, yeah, they had a little bit of a voice of God going, yeah, um, don't get punched in the face, uh, back away right now. He's talking about punching you, you know. It was like. <laughs> So that we, we, we had that. Which went well. It was like really successful. And then you did the, yeah, that big movie. Dude, where's, it was it Dude, Where's My Car? Dude, Where's My Car? Written by Phil Stark, who was one of the writers on the 70s show. But then when do you start like becoming this wizard investor? And and when do, when do, so like a lot of things happen, right? I did a bunch of movies, started, started doing a bunch of other television shows. Like producing shows. the movies. Producing some movies and then producing we did this show called beauty and the geek and yeah, a little, yeah, little yeah. true beauty we were, we were we were building as a reality production company i think endemol came in and offered to buy our production company and i was like well if we sell it then i have a boss and i don't know if i want a boss yeah and and i was like why would they want to buy this like i was trying to figure out like why they were valuing it where it was at and then i saw buffering speeds online just getting faster and faster and faster and this is about maybe 12, 13 years ago. And 2000 I, and what, seven, six? Yeah. Yeah. And and I was like, man, I want, I think all this content is just going to move online. Like yeah. this is just an easier way to consume it. Really? You thought that? I, I, I legitimately had this thought. And so I went out and started looking for companies that could help me distribute content and quantify content quantify creativity if you will like determine where in the life cycle of a video people wanted more and Mm -hmm. where they wanted to turn it off Mm -hmm. and 
understand the total number of views across multiple platforms of the internet. And so I, I was really just trying to figure out how to optimize content for that platform. Any platform. W- well, for the online ecosystem, okay. right? like VOD. Right. And Because uh, you saw the future of entertainment moving there. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so I tried to convince my board uh, to create a fund. At the production company. At the production company. To yeah. create a fund of capital inside the production company to invest in these types of companies. Yeah. And then use our production capabilities to, to make to, the content to promote these companies yeah. and accelerate their growth oh, okay. and then and and then make the content and utilize those tools yeah. to actually uh build content out and so we built out the internal piece of the puzzle but the board didn't approve the investment piece uh-huh so I just started making the investments on my own. With your own money. With my own capital. Yeah. And I invested in a company called Optimizely, which yeah. is like an A-B testing tool. I invested in Skype. I invested in a company called Slide, which this guy, Max Levkin, who was yeah. from the PayPal Mafia, yeah. c- created. <laughs> PayPal Mafia. You know, it's like a group of like yeah. early people that Peter Thiel brought in to yeah. build up PayPal. Yeah. And then, and, and, and then I just started meeting all these other people in the tech and this is like a this is a pivotal time because there they these are guys that are now billionaires, some of them. Yeah. And they weren't then. They weren't then. And yeah. so you're like on the ground floor of these people that know the future in a way. Or yes. at least we're gambling on. Yeah, it. and and to be clear, I was the dumbest guy in the room. Yeah, and intentionally the dumbest guy in the room, and vacuuming as much information as I possibly could. Yeah, just to educate myself. So right, I would go to San Francisco twice a week and just take meetings with the smartest people from Mark Andreessen and Mark Cuban to you know it. it Anybody would take a meeting. And they would take a meeting with you because they thought you were funny and you're uh, like they knew who you were. They knew who I was, so they didn't, you know. But did they look at you as an investor or as sort of like, I want to meet that guy? I don't know. No, not at all. They, yeah. I think they looked at me going, why is, what, <laughs> what's, he what's, want? what's he want, right? <laughs> yeah. And and then and then I, I found this angel investor, this guy, Ron Conway. An angel who, investor is a guy who just give you money? Yeah, he's like it's like the first check-in kind of guy. Yeah, um, and he was the best in the business in angel investing. Uh, well, explain that to me exactly. How does angel investing work? So somebody comes to you with an idea, they yeah. haven't raised any money yet, and yeah. you give them the first check. Okay, and and he was kind of like the first check that was a stamp of approval that caused the second check to come in. And who? Where do you? Where does your check come in? Well, early days, I was an angel investor, okay. so I learned from him. And became an angel investor early on. Yeah. But then I also would invest in things where, you know, somebody would call me up and go, hey, Skype is selling from uh, eBay and, you know, there's some legal hair on it, but we think we can clean that up. But we yeah. think it's a, you know, 6X multiple from here. And then, yeah. I, you know, make that check as well. Uh-huh. So I was doing a little bit of both, but mostly just super, super early. There was this. There's this incubator uh, in San Francisco called Y Combinator, uh-huh. which is probably the most prestigious incubator in the world, where the best founders go through there. The biggest ideas from yeah. Dropbox to Cloudera to you know yeah. Airbnb and they, all these companies end up going through this incubator. Yeah, and this guy Paul Graham, who built it and ran it, yeah. would mentor these young entrepreneurs and help them learn figure out how to build their businesses. Right. And so I would go there, and I at the time there weren't any other celebrities or anybody else there, and I would go, and I could always get a meeting with the founder because yeah. they were excited to meet, and 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 then 
over time, I just I learned from them. I learned from other investors and sort of figured out how to do it. Yeah, and then and, and then and then Guy O'Siri, who is my uh, partner in the fund, he was the only other guy uh, from LA that was uh, I kept seeing up there running into, and he was a friend of mine. And at one point, he turned to me. He's like, "Why don't we just do this together?" And I was like, "Great, like go find the money." And yeah, I'm happily because yeah. I'm running out of money. <laughs> And so then he went and found the money. Yeah. And then Ron Burkle came in with the capital and, and his back office. Um, and we built our first fund and it started from there. And and now this is like the bit, the bulk of your business is doing this stuff. This is, yeah, this is a little bit more than nine to five. And, 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 and now I do only do movies or films or TV that I like, I'm really passionate about. And it's more of like, just for fun. So the fund is it like so you manage a fund basically? Yeah. And and that's uh, that's where you ended up with this and that fund is you know you guys just sit around and go like well what are these things that look like we can put money in? Yeah, so we have And a then team... people invest in the fund? Yeah, exactly. Right. So the fund's called Sound Ventures. Right. So I could put money in Sound Ventures. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have What's it cost to get in? Uh it just depends on it, yeah. de- it like it, be honest it, with me. No, no, it really depends. Okay. Like it, it, part of it is um you know, we we are we try we try to have LPs that we think add value to the fund. Mm-hmm. So folks that give us some domain expertise that we don't have, yeah. And those are the limited partners they put capital in, and then and then we have uh, a unbelievable team of of folks that do run diligence for us on companies. And yeah, they're constantly sourcing companies and you know laying out the numbers and telling us what they think. And then we have a portfolio management team that basically looks at all the companies we've invested in and constantly finding ways to try to be helpful to those companies and yeah. then help those companies grow and that's that's the deal that's the business that's the gig. yeah and and now and you're a respected guy in this world your fund I think so yeah. yeah now okay so going back you've been married to Miller for how long uh I think we've been married for 5 years almost 5 years yeah and that's going good it's going amazing that's great and yeah. then before that you were with Demi yeah, for eight. Yeah, and you guys are still friends. Ah, uh, I. You know, we don't hang out. Um, right. Right, right. You know, I, I remember I talked to Mill, and it was sort of like, oh yeah, everyone's good. And, you know. I mean, it, it's all good. Yeah, we don't we don't hang out. I I've uh, I I make a really conscious effort to stay in touch with the girls. Yeah. Um, because you were sort of present for a lot of that. I mean, it was eight years, right? Yeah. So Tolulu, I think, was like eight or nine. Right. Uh, she was the youngest, and and uh, rumor was like twelve or thirteen. Right. When we first started dating, and then when we divorced, like they would had all just uh, well, Tolulu was graduating high school when we divorced. Sure. So, so you so you had a, a relationship with them, and in, in, during a sort of essential time. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I was helping raise teenage right. girls through their. It's adolescence weird. it's weird when that happens because my brother's going through some of that like you have a, an ex who, whose kids you were a big part of their lives how do you maintain that and do you you know what how does that work i think i mean i, I love them yeah right and i'm never gonna stop loving them, <laughs> right, right right and yeah. and so and and respecting them and honoring sure. them and rooting for them to be successful in whatever yeah. they're, they're pursuing yeah, I, th- I think you 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 try, but I, at the same time, I'm I'm not their father. I was sure. never trying to be their father. I right. always had respect and honored Bruce, and I think you know he's a brilliant human being and a wonderful man. Yeah, and and I and so 
I, I, you know, if they don't want an engagement right. with me, I'm not going to force it upon them. But right. but they all, they all do, and it's oh, it's, that's nice. it's great. Yeah. So that's well, it's good that there's not, you know, badness. There's not badness. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay. So the other thing is, you started Catholic, and then you moved into this other thing. <laughs> you want to extrapolate on that, or you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, early in the conversation. You said you kind of Christian Catholic upbringing, but I know that. The- well, I had a very Christian Catholic upbringing. I mean, I was an altar boy. Uh, my my mom's side of the family was Irish Catholic. We we right. you know went to church every Sunday. I went to catechism. Yeah, learned about Jesus Christ. Um, sure, and then confession, the whole business, yeah, the whole yeah, the whole, blood of Jesus, yeah, the whole. Here's thing. your cookie, um, yeah. and learned a ton um, about in the Catholic model. Yeah, about yeah. that about that model, and and. Sort of being in Iowa, I mean, I had one friend that I f- realized was Jewish because he was gone on days that we were still in school. Yeah, and and I had a Mormon friend uh, when I was growing up, and yeah. I never really recognized or realized a difference um, of religions. Yeah, but also never spent the time to understand any other mm-hmm. religion. Um, and then uh, I, I don't remember how long ago started. Uh, learning about Judaism and uh, just from who who were you with at the time so Demi introduced me to a guy uh, named Eitan Yardini who was one of the teachers at the Kabbalah Center now this is when like in Kabbalah's heyday like when Madonna was Kabbalah and uh, it was like sort of a a fad a bit here Yeah, I think she I think Demi found out about it through Madonna or something Uh like this and I was really skeptical uh, of all of it going in. Uh, were you still practicing Catholic, or were you just no, kind of? I wasn't really practicing. Untethered. I, I was actually like sort of moving towards atheism. Yeah, uh, like where I was just sort of like. Well, you're also inve- you were also consumed with uh, sort of like exciting investments and things. I was consumed with a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but, but I, but I, I. I was kind of questioning whether or not you need a model like this in uh-huh. order to be a good person. Yeah. And and kind of questioning the I always had an issue from the moment I asked my pastor like if you never heard of Jesus Christ, yeah. how is it that you go to hell? Like if because you can't believe in This something. is something you asked when you were a kid? I asked him when I was yeah, when yeah. I was an altar boy. Yeah. And he didn't have it. He's like, you just have to have faith. And I was like, that's just that doesn't do it for me. Right. That's a good question. That's a philosophical question. Like, if that guy doesn't even know who Jesus is, right. why does he the, have to go to hell? If you're in the Amazon rainforest yeah. and you've never heard of Jesus, and he's like, well, this is the pur- purpose for the missions and going out sure. and spreading the yeah. word. And you go, yeah, yeah but there's, you know, some guy's not going to, you're not going to get to those guys in the Amazon, yeah. right? Like, right. And, so I, and so I always sort of bumped against that. And then, uh, so Demi introduced me to this guy, Aton, and I asked him a bunch of questions, yeah. and I was really skeptical. Did you ask him that one? Uh, well, they, he didn't believe that, so therefore he, he didn't Right, didn't to, matter. He, right. He, there was yeah. no hell. There, there, there yeah. was no hell. Yeah, and exactly. Jesus was just a guy. Uh, not just a guy, a Kabbalist, no less. Uh-huh. Of course. <laughs> it had to be. Yeah, right. right. It all fits uh, by together. the way, so was Isaac Newton, yeah, and yeah. so was <laughs> anybody else that has done anything significant. <laughs> sure. So- um, so which is how it kind of generally goes so uh, and so i i started learning about this uh, about judaism and learn how to you know read hebrew and Mm -hmm. learn how to like 
you know, read read the Torah and yeah. read the Midrash and read, read all of it. Read the Zohar the, and read the Talmud. The Talmud and uh-huh. it, w- it was like really in Hebrew. No, no, no. no. I, I read the English translation. Sure, I could read Hebrew like yeah. Say the prayers, right? Right. right like, yeah. yeah right. But you, but you didn't convert to Judaism. I never converted to Judaism. And the Kabbalists, these, this version of Kabbalah doesn't require that. I, what, it was. It was detached from Judaism in a way. It was never required. No, I don't think it was detached from Judaism. It was, yeah. It was never a requirement. It, it, nobody ever made it incumbent upon me to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I. I just didn't. I just never felt the need to do it. Right. I mean, I did mikvah and you know, I tied teflin and yeah. would say my morning prayers every day and do, huh. like you know, right. I did the amidah and do, like really, I I studied it and went all in. But you wouldn't say you're a Jew. I don't think I'm anything. But isn't that odd though? Like I'm I'm a Jew and I you know I can I can read Hebrew and I and I, I don't know that I've put the study that you put into it, but I just never understood and I you know and from what you're telling me, I just, I just don't know. Like it seems like that you know all of the rituals were there and the connections are there, but what is the primary spiritual um, lesson of Kabbalah? I mean, what what are you praying to? I mean, at the end of the day, there was Hillel said. Uh, somebody had asked him to explain the Torah while standing on one foot, and he yeah. said, "Love thy neighbor as thyself." Everything else is commentary, right? right. Yeah. And so, it, and by the way, if you say, "What is the golden rule of Christianity?" It's love thy neighbor as thyself, right? Yeah. It's, it's the same thing, right? And in fact, what I ended up finding out through studying Judaism was why the Catholics did all the things that I couldn't get answers as to why the Catholics did. Like, why did the priest always put a little bit of water in the wine before communion? Like, what was that about? And why was the bread? Why did they? Um, So water is a right column energy of mercy, and wine is a left column energy of judgment. Uh And so you always want to have some sense of mercy or care before you judge anything yeah uh because otherwise it's a violent act and so you so from so you put a little bit of water into the wine um and you know and it was like why are why why did they hand out wafers at community why didn't they just hand out a piece of bread right okay well this bread is an antenna for wisdom and when it's inflated it's like the ego right so it it has the same amount of energy within a wafer as what it has an inflated leaven piece of bread right but if but but it comes in a smaller package and so it's it's an antenna reminder for individuals to diminish their ego uh, right you know there's blandness hold the same space right a blandness to it yeah so i learned all and then i learned about passover but you're learning this from the kabbalah people well i I just didn't know any so i didn't know that passover came at the same time of year as easter right you know and then when you do the matzah it's actually the same as the wafer and it's and it's it there's there's i learned so much overlap so much of it is exactly the same stuff but just taught in different ways and all really valuable stuff to sort of have and digest and realize but i'm kind of left back at the same place where i began which is you know i think all these things are great as long as you're not religious about them right and i and I found myself becoming religious about it mm. as opposed to um, 
as opposed to just... Curious, intellectual, yeah, yeah. It, it, philosophical. It, I sort of passed the point of curiosity and philosophy and found myself becoming religious and went, whoa, I've just done the exact thing that I did before. And here I am back at ground zero going, huh, let me let me re-examine all of this and yeah. see and, and just use what works. Yeah, where'd you land with that? With like spirituality? I'm, you know... I kind of think that 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 the God that we're all looking for yeah. is actually just in other people. Hmm. I th- I could I can yeah. Well, that's I mean that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good yeah it could go either way. Like uh, my, my my. So you you're, you're grounded in that as opposed to magical thinking, which is like uh, yeah. My ge- like, my general sense is that like. I'm, I, I'm seeking knowledge in this world. Yeah, there's more knowledge out in the world than I can than I, I'll ever have, I'll ever personally obtain. Mm-hmm. And you know, functionally, at the end of the day, love thy neighbor as thyself. Everything else is commentary. Yeah, like just figure that out, and you're you're gonna do all right. Yeah, you'd be a decent person. People have always have good things to say about you. Not always. <laughs> You just haven't met the right people. The people I've talked to think you're a great guy. You just haven't met the right people. Come on. I'll introduce you to a couple. <laughs> They're like, fuck that guy. <laughs> you got a couple of those people out there? Is there anyone out there saying about that, about Ashley? Oh, Pitt? I'm sure there is. I, I, I've got, I have a couple like personal, one, I'm pretty, a pretty righteous motherfucker. Yeah. Um, which is, probably doesn't come off very good a lot of the time. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm right most of the time. Yeah. As do most people, but I'm certain of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that could be annoying. That's annoying. Yeah. Number two, I have a, my wife actually picks up me about this all the time. Like I can't, I don't, I don't recognize faces very well. Like mm. I, I have this weird, I can look at a face and go, I know I know that person. Yeah. But I can't place where or how i mean i've run into like ex-girlfriends that i've dated for years and you can't and well that happens as you get older buddy n- no but i but legitimately like dated for like years and not recognize them that's not and good. so i think it like and i all and i'm very apologetic about it when i'm like man i can't place it and i'm really really sorry yeah. i should know this yeah and the minute they tell me who they are i'm like oh yeah back to the thing that we did with the discord <laughs> But like I, I think that comes off really assholey sometimes, yeah. And, yeah. and I don't mean to be. I just don't have that auto recall on faces. Well, sometimes you get older and you've been a, you know, you've met a lot of people in your life, and you don't, you don't know how age is going to change people. Sometimes it takes a second. I've had moments where, like, you know, people. I don't know if I've dated them for years, but I've spent time with them. <laughs> I don't. I just feel really bad about it. Yeah. Honestly. And 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 then and then I I always tell my I'm just a shitty friend too. So oh, like, yeah. I, yeah. Well, I just don't resp- I don't I don't respond to text messages. And yeah. Things you forget and like, they fall through the cracks. Don't be so hard on yourself. No, it's not even that. I just you don't. I, I just don't respond. Like okay. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> Do I, you respond in your head and think you responded? Maybe. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think about the response. Right. And then it's just like, oh, I never got to that. Or I want to make sure it's like a good response. Yeah. And then you don't do and it. And then I don't get to it because yeah. I need like five minutes to actually really think about the response. Sure. Yeah. You know that thing? Yeah, of course I do. So I'm also like, 
So I can, I'll introduce you to some people at some that, point. Like, oh, that'd be, be great. Like, that'd be great. I mean, I won't recognize you the next <laughs> time I see you in order to introduce you, but <laughs> <laughs> but when but when I reintroduce myself to you, you'll you'll walk me over to the people that yeah don't yeah like I'll be you. like hey here's the four people that are <laughs> just like I'm an asshole. Tell him how much of an asshole I am. <laughs> so these the last two things you've done TV wise, in in the in terms of what you know you said you like to do. Like the taking the gig on Two and a Half Men was that was that something that you had a good time with that you wanted to do or that that was just an undeniable amount of bread that could be had there. Um, a combo of, of several things. Yeah, so, I was watching the Charlie Sheen thing happen because uh, I, yeah. I was watching it online. Do you know him? Uh, I do. I've met him a couple times. Yeah. And he's always been really yeah. nice to me. And he's um, funny on that show. I mean, he's been nice to me to my face. Yeah. But then in, uh, he said things that I was like, what? what? Later, though, after you took the job, probably? Yeah. I yeah. think he, I think he well, was just angry about sure. things. but uh, Which, understandably. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, I was watching this thing happen. I got in yeah. the car and uh, was driving. I was like, man, I was like, I got to tell you that. With what they're paying that guy, like if somebody offered me that job, I would take it. And I sort of said it as a joke, right? right? But I, I, I was talking to my old agent about it or something, yeah. like uh, Adam Bennett, who was my old agent, and 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 I said I said it to him just sort of like on a and so then I went on a fishing trip in Alaska with my dad or up up north somewhere, and and I got a phone call from my old agent. He was like, yeah. Hey, were you serious when you said that? And I was like, why? And he goes, well, I think you could get the job. And I was like, well, listen, I'm not, I like, I don't know if I really want to, like, I'm not really sure that I want to. And then I sort of sat and I thought about it. I was just talking to my dad and I was like, I love doing sitcoms. Yeah. Like love, love the live audience thing. It's a you know yeah. when you get a laugh, thing, yeah. right? It's, it's a specific you, skill. Yeah, nothing better than getting yeah. a laugh from an audience that's all lavered up from yeah. a warm up guy, and he's like, <laughs> "Fucking laugh, motherfuckers!" <laughs> and everybody's like, ah! yeah, "Yeah!" And so they're already they're, they're ready. But you to still laugh. believe it? Yeah. And so I and I was like, Man, I really love doing sitcoms. Yeah. And at the time, um. Yeah, uh, I had daughters at home, mm-hmm. and I I knew things were like a little like not great in my relationship, and I wanted to work on that with Miller. No, 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 with with to me. Oh, that was back, and I, yeah. And I wanted to work on that, and I wanted to be home more. Right. And I was like, let me um, let me think about it. And so I thought about it a little bit. I talked to my dad and. And then I went and met with Chuck Lorre, and he seemed like a really smart guy and he had an idea for this character that I thought was really interesting, mm-hmm. which wasn't the character that I ended up – I got the script and was like, well, that's not what we talked about. But um, but he had an idea for this character I thought was interesting, and he was like, are you ready? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, this is going to be a big story and a big thing. And I was like, what's going to happen? He's going to – I mean, worst case scenario, the guy's going to shit talk me and then – then what? Right? Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, fuck it. And I just decided to do it and had a really good time and met uh, Don Rio and Jim Patterson, who ended up co-producing with me The Ranch that right. we did on Netflix. So yeah. I, we brought a bunch of the crew that was there as well. Oh, on. yeah. And so it was actually super fortuitous because we all ended up connecting. 
and had a really good time making it. Um, and people liked it, right? You, you and the people that were fans of the show, they stayed there, and, and you know, you did the thing for a while. And and then and I actually went through a divorce while on that show, which is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. And you know, having a family while going through that, uh, I I needed that. Yeah. And so, and those people were all there for me and supported me while I was going through that, and it was phenomenal. That's great. Yeah. And so, then, the, and now you're still working with them. Uh, yeah. And then, we, well, we just finished the ranch. Um, that was eight seasons. What was that? The ranch. The ranch. Eighty episodes. We did four seasons. Four seasons. Yeah. And so, we, and we just finished it. It was the most episodes of any show ever done by Netflix. Well, yeah, it was like because that three camera situation doesn't always it doesn't seem to work for them necessarily. Uh, but yours worked. It worked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it worked. It and, you know, you worked with people you like. And da- I saw, you know, da- I didn't watch all of them. But, you know, when, was Dax in all of them or did he come in no, later? No, Dax came in, in the last, I think, 20, 25 or something uh-huh. like that. Uh, it was funny. I did his podcast, like one of the first episodes of his podcast. Right, right. And then uh, left. I was like, you know, we're writing this character who's this, <laughs> you know, vet for this thing. Like, and, you know, he comes he's my cousin. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, <laughs> great. That. Yeah, he's like, I was like, I'm gonna call your agent. And he's like, yeah, call him. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I was like, okay, great. So it turned out. But that show is not like it's not like Two and a Half Men or or the '70s show. It's a heavy, you know, you can deal with heavy shit. Yeah, it's like a combination of like comedy and drama. It was it, it I mean, it was, but it's like a three camera thing. Like I noticed that about acting, just because I do a bit of it now, and you seemed, and you just said that you liked uh, doing that, the sitcom sort of acting, the three camera stuff. And to it, it's a real weird kind of unique skill set to be able to deliver drama in that format. Yeah, it, it, we had to figure it out um, because we hadn't. Uh, I I'd never done that before, and you know, you. I think we figured out quickly. Like, if they were like really dramatic scenes, yeah, uh, you could do them in front of the audience. If they were pseudo dramatic scenes. It was better to pre-tape them before we loaded the audience in. What's so, the difference? So we do a pre-tape day on Thursday with no audience, right? Uh, and and then on Friday we shoot in front of a live audience. But pseudo dramatic just means what? Just if there were, if it was a scene that went from comedy into drama, uh-huh. the problem was the audience was so keyed into laughing. Oh right, that they would get to the drama and not be able to make the transition into taking it seriously right right or or laugh because you know you had like one guy in the audience that laughed because they thought it was a joke still right but right, it right. wasn't a joke and then it would blow the take yeah and it would pull the actors out of the dramatic moment that was right. building interesting um but if it was a really dramatic scene you could shoot it in front of the audience and then you can hear a pin drop on that stage. Just as long as it's not cluttered, you know, it doesn't come out of comedy. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. So so the, the 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 stuff that had to kind of evolve, you know, like there's a couple of jokes, and then you're all of a sudden you're into something serious, you had to shoot without an audience. It was much harder, yeah. I mean, we, we, we just kind of had to figure out, like, when what were the kinds of scenes that the audience could do and do well. Right. And then- and then oftentimes on some of the dramatic scenes, you'd need three, four takes, and you don't want the audience to sit there and be belabored watching it three, four times. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so it, it it was a balance that we that that we ended up figuring out probably after like halfway into this first season. And and why are you ending it? Uh, the story was told. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a commendable thing. It, it, I, I've been on shows where you keep going. Yeah. And you keep going, yeah. And then you got a brother who's a gorilla, and you know, like I've done, I've done this stuff, right? Yeah. And so, it, it the story was told. I love everything that we did. Everybody there was still, you know, highly in love with each other. Yeah. We didn't have to do that thing where you know you you shoot a show for like four seasons, everybody's salary gets increased every year, right? And then you go, I don't know if we can pay this much for you know yeah. this discipline within our crew and so then you have to let go of people and then hire new people to reduce the salary yeah. so you can contain the budget we didn't have to do that yeah like, we got to the point we were able to let everybody know that this was the last season yeah and that we we're going to wrap it up and so everybody had time to find their next gig and you know it's not like netflix owns the show so it's not like there was this big syndication. No, right. There's no back end thing. Yeah, there's right. no big syndication right. boon that's going to come yeah. if we shoot two more seasons. Yeah. So the story was told. And you don't have to beat it to death. Yeah. Good, man. Well, congratulations. Thank you. On your life. I'm, I'm living one. Okay. Good I don't, talking. I don't want to do a different one. I'll <laughs> tell you that. I'll, I'll keep this one. Good talking to you, man. Likewise. Thanks, man. There you go. That was Ashton Kutcher. The show is The Ranch. It's the it's finishing up now on Netflix. Final season is up. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour for venue and ticket information for all of my winter tour dates, the few that are left, the seven or so that are coming up. And uh, my special, uh, End Times Fun, will, uh, will drop in March. Obviously, I'll give you more details about that leading up to it. And what else can I say? Oh, wait. I, I can. I think I can do music. I, I have a hotel room with a ukulele in it. Hold on.